So today's lesson comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 9. To give you a recap of what's going on, the people have asked for a king and broken Samuel's heart because the prophet Samuel feels that this is a rejection, but the Lord tells Samuel, no, they, they haven't just rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. And Samuel, in the last chapter, has given a huge warning to the people of Israel that kings are a bad idea. They tend to take your stuff. But the people insist on having a king, so God has told them he's going to give them one anyways. And so we come to today's reading in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that your holy word would be opened to us. That your Holy Spirit would speak through our hearts, through our minds, through our preacher's words here today, and through all those who have preached your word before us. Lord, be with us now. We ask this in your name. Amen. So our chapter begins with verse 1 and 2. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zior, son of Bekoth, son of Apia, a Benjamite a man of great wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. And there was not a man among all the people of Israel more handsome than Saul. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So our initial lesson is that Kish, Saul's dad, was extremely rich. And if that doesn't just make life more unfair, Saul himself is very handsome. So the people had asked God for a king, and Saul had everything. He had all the external stuff. He had good looks, and he had wealth. But notice there's no mention with Kish or Saul of the Lord. There's not the common Bible phrases, well, he walked with the Lord, or he knew the Lord. No, we find right here that with wealth and good looks... Saul is exactly the kind of leader Israel has been wanting, exactly the kind of leader they rejected Samuel for. This almost is a lesson in and of itself. I aim it at no one in particular, but Christians, how many times are we focused on the externals? We see the handsome young man from the good family. But how often does that please us in picking pastors and picking deacons and who we ask to lead our church? Is it mentioned among us, he walks with the Lord? So we continue with verses 3 through 14. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, they had strayed and wandered off. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the boys with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they didn't find the donkeys. And they passed through the land of Sha'alim, but the donkeys weren't there either. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, and they still didn't find them. So when Saul came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to the boy who was with him, Let us, let us turn back. Or my father's going to stop worrying about those donkeys, and he's going to start worrying about us. But the servant said to Saul, There is a man of God in this town, and he is a man held in great honor. 
Whatever he says always comes true. Let us go there now, and perhaps he will tell us about the journey on which we were sent out. So Saul replied to the boy, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For our bread, the bread in our sacks is gone, and we have no present to bring this man of God. What have we? And the servant boy answered Saul, Here, I have with me a quarter shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God to tell us what we want to know. Now formerly in Israel, anyone who went to inquire of God would say, Come, let us go to the seer. For who is now called a prophet, back in these days, was called a seer. And Saul thus said to the boy, Good, let us go. So they went down to the town where the man of God was. And as they went up to the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water. And Saul said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered, Yes, there, he's just ahead of you. Hurry, he's come just now to town, because the people have a sacrifice today at the shrine. As soon as you enter the town, you'll find him, for before, for the people won't even eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice, and afterwards those who eat will eat with him. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So Saul and the servant boy went up to the town, and as they were entering the town, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the shrine. Now, the divine lesson here in this section of the chapter is God chooses donkeys to do his work. God, in fact, tends to like donkeys. It makes me think of the prophet for hire Balaam when the angel shows up and wants to destroy him. The donkey is the one that saves him. And as the evil prophet beats the donkey, eventually God opens the donkey's mouth to tell him, Look, you idiot. And I think in this story, there's a bit of that too. You see, this, this story of the future king wandering throughout his whole land looking for donkeys speaks volume about Israel and volumes about Saul. There is no one in Israel that's going to catch these donkeys. Saul has no prayer life to be led to pray about these donkeys. And before these donkeys even went missing, there was a problem. Saul had his whole life up until the day that he came into the stable and found the thing was empty. There was every single opportunity and every day from zero to whatever age he was to develop some sort of prayer life, to get some sort of connection to God, to even go see this Samuel fellow. But Saul has none of that deep down inside him. And it seems most of Israel doesn't either. Kish doesn't have a prayer life to develop his son to be a future king. So this speaks volume that when it comes to the church, many times the only thing God has to use are donkeys. And the one thing we can give those animals credit for is even though they tend to be called stupid, one commentator points out they are probably the only people, the only actors in this story that are exactly where God wants them to be smoothly. And we can insist sometimes with these sort of things that everything has a deep meaning. Yet we can't count out meaning in these day-to-day lives because sometimes that's the only way the Lord can speak to us. If we are not praying, if we are not searching, sometimes the spare tire that throws you into the ditch is the only way he can get our attention. 
Now these two men, they end up exacerbating. They've got a flat tire and they don't know why. They've got donkeys they can't find and they don't know why. And Saul suggests, why don't we just go home because my dad's going to start worrying about us. We've been gone so long he's going to think something happened. And the servant has a brilliant idea. The little boy says, hey, why don't we go find a prophet? But again, we have the same problem. Saul, the boy, throughout all their lives, they could have gone and seen Samuel. He was famous. A little boy knew his name and knew everything he saw was always correct. But why do the people come to the prophet? Is it for deep spiritual guidance? We've already read in the story of the ark, in the story of asking for the king, in the story of... No one is seeking any spiritual guidance of poor Samuel. The only questions he gets to field is if he can help find donkeys. Now there is one fun bit here. According to the Jewish historians, when Saul met this woman, Jewish legend was she was crushing on Saul. And that's why she wanted to talk to him. But I think uh, the most interesting thing, this woman who just sees a handsome man says something interesting. For in verse 18, she says, As soon as you enter the town, you will find him. Let us see how this goes in verse 15. Now the day before Saul came... The Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I'll send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be ruler over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen the suffering of my people, because their outcry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man whom I spoke to you, he who it is who shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel inside the gate and said, Tell me, please, where is the house of the seer? So the Lord here is moving through donkeys, and he's moving through a girl who's got a schoolboy crush. Because Saul, he's got no relationship to God. He's just moving around by chance. Samuel is here contrasted because he is told by by God directly. But the big picture of all of this is, is look who is exactly the first person that Saul meets when he walks into town, the prophet that he's looking for. Because see, this whole story of a king and, and the people of Israel rejecting God's guidance, God still stays in control of the whole thing. He's willing to give them a human king, but note he says, I will send that human king. He's not willing to abandon Israel to their own devices. If they will not seek him, fine. If they'll grab the ark and go try to use it as a magic token and get themselves defeated in battle, fine, I'll go bring the ark back myself. If there is nothing to get through these people's heads, I'll use a bunch of donkeys to make donkeys out of them. Let's see what happens when Samuel and Saul meet. In verse 19, Samuel answered Saul, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the shrine, for today you will eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't worry about them, they've been found. And on whom is all Israel's desire fixed, if it is not on you and on all your ancestral house? And Saul answered, 
I'm only a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel, and my family is the humblest of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why have you spoken to me in this way? Saul here shows some promise. When he says my family is the least, he shows that he's got a good ancient Near Eastern sense of hospitality, for he's the rich kid, he's the handsome kid. But when Samuel gives him good news that he's the chosen one, Saul has proper manners. And Samuel continues to look. So in verse 22, Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them the place at the head of the table of all who had been invited. And there were about 30 people there. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the special portion I gave you, the one I asked you to put aside. The cook took up the thigh and what went with it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, for it is set before you at the appointed time, so you might eat with all the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the shrine into the town, a bed was spread just for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul upon the roof and said, Get up, so that I may send you on your way. Saul got up, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. So it seems Samuel, here's a tad wily. He's going to test Saul. First thing he does is he pops up to Saul and says, Hey, you're the chosen one on whom all of Israel's hopes rest. And Saul gives a proper response. I'm just from a small family. I'm not really that important of a kid. And then he sits Saul in the seat of honor and gives him the honorable portion and then has a conversation with him. He gets to know Saul. And I think it says something that Saul, at the start of his career, was a man who could impress the prophet. So we get to the end of our story. Verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts of town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the boy to go on before us, and then when he has passed on, stop here by yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of the Lord. So Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, The Lord has anointed you ruler over his people Israel. You shall reign over the people of your Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their enemies all around. Now this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you ruler over his heritage. So Samuel is impressed enough to give Saul the job. So the big picture of today's chapter is it's kind of an intro into Saul. It's not really super spiritual. It gives us some insight into how the people are, but we didn't really learn anything new. They're being led by circumstance, by donkeys. And it tells us something about the personal story of Saul. He's got a good family. He looks good. He seems polite. He brings an offering when he goes to see the prophet. He's modest when he's told he's going to get everything he wants. And Samuel seems to generally think the kid's okay. Well, we need that introduction to Saul because he is not going to end the book. He is not going to end the story of David, that same person, which has some meaning for us, but it's kind of academic. It helps us focus on the other lessons of 1 Samuel, so I couldn't just skip it. But there's no new issues here, just a general spirit of apathy. 
But that spirit of apathy keeps the same lessons, and it's lessons we need to hear even today. We have a need to seek God. A need to not just be people that are led around by donkeys, but that actually pray and go seek the Lord, sometimes other than when we just want trinkets. And it's got the secondly vitally important thing for all those who do hope, for all those who wonder why aren't things going, is that God is moving even when his people won't listen. Even when they reject him, he's given them the king. And this has a practical application in the question. Do we want to be a people of God that are led by following donkeys? Or do we want to be a people who are led by God because at least... Now there's some wider issues here of chance, there's, which is bad theology itself, but... We can chalk this whole story of Saul, all these things where God is trying to talk to us, up to chance. And Saul is a good example of chalking it up to chance. He was a good boy. Why didn't he turn out that we often do for our good leaders when they don't work? We have this idea of a God of the gaps. We're only going to talk to him when it's either stupid stuff, like, Lord, I forgot to pay my water bill, or... When we get in trouble for stupid stuff, or it's just going to be a God when everything else fails. So we pray for healing only when every other diagnostic is bad. Don't seek him until the transmission's blown. And I think this also says something very deep about how an apathetic, a church, a church culture that doesn't seek God will generally always judge people. They're too pleased with manners. They're too pleased that Saul comes from a good house and that he looks good. And there is never a question in any of this, even from the prophet himself, as the character. But I think the most important thing here is there's something going on deep, and this one's for all you who've been listening through the series, is there's power relationships. As one commentator points out, the people have asked for a king. This is the only time probably in all of written human history that there is a throne on the, a crown on the table and no one's fighting for it. There's supposed to be a king in Israel and no one cares or wants the job. Saul's out chasing donkeys. But it also says something amazing about the person of Samuel. He's the one who's giving the job up. He's the one who's replaced. He's the one who goes before the Lord as we... Talked last week and says, they don't want me anymore. But notice how gracious and how much preferment and how much honor Samuel gives his replacement, Saul. And you don't have to read much of the rest of the Old Testament to know how different this one move of succession between the judges and the kings is from all the other kings. Saul's going to try to kill David a lot. And David's going to be vindictive when he goes out. And his sons will kill brothers and cousins to secure crowns for who they want. Bad leadership leaves a stink. This selfish ambition and self-seeking tend to outlive us. Saul was a dynasty of one. But notice the change that was worked in the nation just by him. Samuel, who graciously lets himself be passed to every other king who wants to kill and murder to set his son upon a throne. So Samuel here gives us an important lesson of spiritual leadership, and I'll end with this. Jesus tells his disciples that those who are your leaders are not to be like the Gentiles, 
They're not to lord it over you. He tells us constantly again and again that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And we're not to judge somebody by their possessions or their looks. We read in James a couple weeks ago. The key characteristics of Christian leadership are being gracious and self-sacrificing, but even those will get you nowhere, Paul says, unless you're related to God. You can have all the miracles you want. You can have all the great teachings, all the wisdom, but if you have not love, just a clanging symbol. And so this perhaps might teach you something for those who are in leadership. Do you model that? How did you start out? Did you start out the chosen child like Saul? And how has that gone? And for those of you who have never been leaders, do you at least sense that there's burdens of old struggles, of old power plays, and old falls from grace? And all of us, all of you, I beg you, do not be led by the donkeys of life. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us, but the Holy Spirit is not available to us unless we are right with Christ. Now, if you are not right with Christ, trust me, he controls chance. Sometimes the donkeys go missing. But he's a very different kind of king than Saul, than David, than Samuel, or anyone else the world has ever known. He's the king who, instead of us dying for him, dies for us. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that your people Israel set. We know not every single one can be a strong kicker, Lord, but your wisdom and your word is contained in all of Scripture. Please work it through our hearts in deeper teaching, deeper understanding. So as we continue forward, we see those connections, draw those lines, and strike the chords of the angelic melody you would have us play. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.